afternoon, Tom. Uh, good to have you here. Uh, we worked together in the past and uh, we've uh, had uh, interesting conversations around addiction. So hopefully today we'll have another uh, good conversation about the uh, challenges uh, facing young people and I suppose parents. Um, what is your, what's your experience, Bobby, uh, at the moment? Um, are you finding parents uh, presenting with young people or how do young people, how do, how do you come across the young people? I suppose I work in a, two or three different services now covering South Dublin and the vast majority of the young people who end up accessing the service have been referred in by parents. Our parents are the main drivers behind referrals, sometimes prompted or guided by other uh, professionals. Maybe school might express concern and that prompts parents into action or sometimes the guards are social workers. Um, but usually the parents are the um, main drivers behind uh, attendances. And I suppose that's very different from adults. Um, in adult drug and alcohol services, it tends to be the individual who'll come along themselves. Oftentimes, again, I suppose, prompted or pushed by other people who are expressing concern. But, um, you know, we probably it's three or four percent of our referrals are actually self-referrals. Okay. And what kind of um, addictions are presenting? What kind of drugs are young people using today? Um, that's something we've seen a big change in, Tom, over the last few years. Um, I suppose the the drug that's driving most referrals at the moment is, is cannabis, actually. Um, it probably accounts for 80% or so of referrals that we would see. Now, again, oftentimes combined with other substances, but it's become the primary drug for the vast majority of young people, which is a big change on even four or five years ago when it was probably both cannabis and alcohol sort of going head-to-head at about 40% of, of referrals. And the cannabis, is that the, the grow house cannabis, the, the grass, as is referred to, uh, or is it the resin or what? what? Yeah, the, the, the whole supply network for cannabis seems to have changed really dramatically. Um, I mean, six or eight years ago, if you'd asked me about cannabis, I, I wouldn't have expressed much concern. It was mainly hash. People would maybe spend, you know, uh, 10 or 20 euros on a on a 10 or 20 spot of hash and that would get them through the week. But what we're seeing now, yeah, is this move towards herbal cannabis, which does seem to come from the grow houses. So it's the dried leaf, I suppose, of the plant. Um, And people spending, you know, 25 to 50 euros a day uh, on cannabis and quite routinely. So young people getting into debt, you know, Um, and it's a dramatic change. I mean, 15 years ago, I suppose, 20 years ago, Dublin was really concerned by heroin abuse, uh, very appropriately so. And, but um, the amount of young people, the amount that young people are spending now on cannabis is equivalent, would maintain a heroin habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, is it true that uh, this type of cannabis is as addictive as heroin in the sense that uh, the experience that the young people are getting from this kind of cannabis is more, att- more interesting, more attractive, more... Is that what's drawing yeah. them into it? Or? I suppose I've certainly been taken aback by the trouble that young people have been getting themselves into linked to cannabis use. It's not the most addictive drug out there. I mean, the, st- the statistics would sort of say maybe, you know, 10, 15% of people who use cannabis will develop a problematic or, or addictive type relationship with it. Um, but young people are really, really struggling to stop it. It, it does sort of you know, in that subsection that we end up seeing anyway, it ends up dominating their day and their daily routine. They'll smoke from morning until night time, um, trying to get the money together to 25 or 50 euros a day is a reasonable amount of cash um, to assemble, uh, particularly for teenagers who 
who can't source it legally, they often end up getting the drug uh, from dealers on tick or, or sort of on credit, but can rack up debts of five, six hundred euros quite quickly. And then the dealers don't seem to have any compunction at all about coming knocking on mammy and daddy's door looking for the money. And, and that's oftentimes when the parents become first aware of it. So then they're presented to you, say the parent brings them in, uh, the young person seemingly addicted to cannabis, running up debts, uh, what happens then? Do you assess them? And yeah, the, I suppose the service, we have a small multidisciplinary team, so staff from a range of different backgrounds. I mean, my, my background is a doctor and a psychiatrist specifically, I suppose. Um, we've got nursing input on the team, uh, family therapy input, um, and counsellors. So people with a range of different sort of counselling type skills. With the cannabis problem, uh, the solution is a talking-based approach. So that means working with the young person, help them think through the situation they found themselves in, guide them towards some change or some solution um, within that. But with teenagers, it's really important to involve parents. Uh, and in most cases, we can do that successfully. Some parents, I guess, are you know, would, would ideally wish for us to sort the problem out um, ourselves without too much input from them. But it usually does involve active input, input from parents and, um, um, and most are happy to do so. Yeah, and so is it sometimes that the, the teenager smoking the cannabis is expressing some dynamic in the family and are looking for their needs met or escaping something? What What is it that brings some young people into addiction more quickly than others? Yeah, I suppose my view on addiction, whatever substance you're addicted to, um, is that there's many, many very different routes into it. Um, I think for a lot of the young people who drift into problematic cannabis use, um, it's often in the context of peers um, that their their use will sort of escalate. They fall in with a group of pals who who are like smoking a bit of weed, and it all seems harmless and pleasant initially. Um, and for most people, maybe maybe it sort of stays that way. But for the young people, we end up seeing it. As I said, it sort of begins to dominate their daily routine. Their school performance declines. Their psychological well-being actually deteriorates as well. You know, um, while cannabis might have a reputation of being a, a chill-out drug, certainly anger and aggression is is a really, really common problem that we see with these young people, typically manifest in the family home. And sometimes that can um, escalate to violence. So we actually are increasingly seeing domestic violence, which is child-to-parent domestic violence. Mm. Um and, and leaving parents in really trapped and difficult situations because they're sort of embarrassed um, that this, their son or daughter is behaving this way towards them, don't necessarily tell their family or friends. So mm-hmm. they, they live trapped in this situation with this angry, demanding um, you know, son or daughter, and it is typically a son. And I suppose the teenager obviously is at a developmental stage, and if they start to become independent on alcohol or or cannabis, it's obviously going to have some impact on their development. Yeah, I I think it, it, to some extent, arrests it or sends it off down a bit of a Mm. cul-de-sac. Obviously, the whole point of adolescence is to to, uh, take you towards adulthood, you know, and as adults, we're hopefully fairly um, functioning independent uh, entities who are capable of managing sort of the slings and arrows that, that life throws at us. And also managing the good times and managing to find a bit of fun and laughter as well. Uh, they're important things to, to do as adults. But yeah, for teenagers who get trapped in, in, in any sustained substance use, it, it interferes with that process. It can become their coping strategy for dealing with 
you know, upset or distress or, or anger or annoyance. Um, and then interferes, I guess, with their ability to pick up other ways of just dealing with those those tough times. So is the solution found then in the teenager learning how to communicate better in the family and involving the parents in that? Yeah, it's, I suppose, a multi-pronged approach to treatment. You know, first of all, it involves oftentimes a couple of good conversations with the young person and their parents over a couple of, you know, a couple of different sessions to get a good handle on what's going on for them, what's gone well for them, what's not going so well. Um, were there was there evidence of problems even before cannabis use? Uh, what aspects of life are, are, are going okay? You know, because ideally you're trying to find strengths to build upon. Um and to work with the young person to build their motivation to make change and then to try and support the parents uh, to support the change, I suppose. Um, I suppose there's so much pressure on young people today and especially around their identity and, you know, body image and being successful. And I suppose school brings a lot of pressures as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I guess those pressures maybe always been there. Um, I think maybe one of the big differences um, nowadays is that things are just so current, so immediate. Um, you know, your social status is, is can be checked uh, in numerics. We yeah. talked about this beforehand. Uh, yeah. Obsession of researchers and, and yeah. checking you know, how often we're cited. But mm-hmm. young people, it's it's how many friends have you got on Facebook yes. or Snapchat or whatever else it yes. is. Yes. Um, and I suppose the the social phenomenon of, of social media brings its own challenges, but I suppose it helps people to overcome isolation to some degree. But anything in excess, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's something new um, that I think adults are struggling to get their heads around. Um, and even just the parenting of uh, social media is a new challenge. Um, it's something that brings opportunities, but I think it brings threats as well. Um, and what's the success then of the interventions that you make? You talked a little bit to kind of talk therapies or, you know, trying to motivate young people to increase their motivation for change. Um, what's the success? Um, that's the million dollar question. I was hoping you mm. wouldn't ask that because it is something we've looked at. Um, and it, the success is not great, I suppose. Um, an awful lot of young people, again, because perhaps they're... they're their attendance has been driven by concerns of others rather than their own concerns. They tend to make modest changes on average. Some some young people will continue using substances in an unchanged way. Um, a small minority will stop, uh, but it is only a small minority. It's probably only 10-15% will actually stop their substance use. Uh, in most cases, then, what you're seeing is a reduction. Um, obviously, our aspiration for young people is that they cease and stop use, but um, you know that's not borne out by the reality. I mean, we did look at the statistics on that. I was a bit disappointed. Uh, as a doctor, you want you know mm-hmm. your patients to do uh, uh, brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And you want them all to do brilliantly. But certainly, when I looked at the international studies, the, the, the amount of change we're achieving with the group who attend the services um, sort of stack up, I suppose, to international comparison. Yeah, I suppose there's wider societal aspects, maybe of young people as well. We might come back to that just after a short music break. We're going to take a song from Hosier uh, called Sedated. You're listening to Addicted on 103.2 Dublin City FM, and I'm talking to Bobby Smith today, consultant psychiatrist working with young people in Dublin. Um, Welcome back, Bobby. We are just talking there before the break about the outcomes, I suppose, and obviously uh, outcomes are hard to achieve in treatment and uh, you mentioned there um, the work that you're doing. 
what what are the other factors that affect young people's attachment to this identity of uh, the cannabis user? It's yeah, it, it is one of the different and interesting and challenging things about many of the young people who abuse cannabis that it is very much a core part of how they define themselves as a person. That you know, I am a, a cannabis user, uh, and uh, I suppose the whole cannabis use has become a little bit politicised at the moment. You know, that there's major moves in the states towards legalising it, and there's a lot of you know movement in Ireland or discussion. Uh, uh, along the same lines, I guess, in Ireland. So they see themselves as at the forefront of, of this societal change. So when we're trying to discuss with them about the fact that, well, this substance, though, does seem to be now damaging your life and, and it's interfering with your mental health, it's interfering with your school performance, it's costing lots of money, and they might acknowledge a lot of that, but it's, it's um, I think a challenge for them is to discard then this identity that they've embraced enthusiastically and passionately that of the, the, the cannabis user, the cannabis advocate, mm. uh, to Just then move away from it. It's like a subculture around the whole marijuana, is it uh, Bob Marley and that whole kind of yeah, image um, of being a rebel and resistant. And, and I think that's perhaps part of the draw for some young people. Again, mm. one of the core tasks of adolescence is to find an identity mm. uh, and being a, a cannabis user is an identity that some young people are drawn to mm-hmm. um, and it, it's a sort of a subculture I suppose that they can embrace enthusiastically and maybe some get away with it to some extent but certainly the young people we meet don't. Yeah. And maybe another factor Tom actually as well is just from a parent's perspective. Well most parents I think would be concerned and disapproving I suppose of their son or daughter's cannabis use. I think a lot of parents perhaps a little bit like myself to some extent were didn't take this drug terribly seriously, don't take it seriously, might have smoked at some stage in their youth themselves. But cannabis nowadays is a very, very different drug than the than the one that parents might have used themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a different beast. Yeah, it's a, it's a certainly the the science of it anywhere in the T, was it the THC and the C, CBD, is it? Is yeah, the THC is the active drug in yeah. it, I suppose. And, and yes. that's certainly growing in concentration. Mm-hmm. And the CBD is one of the other chemicals that yeah. seem somewhat protective, actually, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. But the concentration of CBD is dropping in the modern uh, versions of cannabis. Yeah. So I suppose uh, I always think myself in terms of working in the addiction field that, you know, as a society, we have to live with these substances. Prohibition doesn't work. So it's how do we exist with alcohol and uh, mood altering substances in a healthy way? I suppose the challenge with young people is that they're going through an identity formation phase. And if you get over attached to a certain identity, um, that can hold them back years or it may not be their, their real identity. So, as you said, they're... Um, it's that whole attachment and in that context then alcohol obviously is another drug that's very much associated with young people and maybe it's an older uh, group of young people uh, in the whole binge drinking culture um, is there a crossover are they two different kind of cohorts of, y- of young people those who focus on the, the cannabis and those who who are becoming more at risk around alcohol no we'd see a lot of overlap I mean we certainly do see a, a section of young people who choose cannabis rather than rather than drinking um, but you do see a lot of overlap um, and certainly what we have found is that I mean alcohol if there's a gateway drug in Ireland it is alcohol okay. um, because of the way we use it um, we, we have a, a culture that's highly tolerant and accepting of intoxication for most of us we can find that to drinking uh, for a subset of young people then 
and they choose other routes to intoxication, whether it's cannabis, cocaine, benzos or whatever. Um, certainly, again, in one of the services I work in, we looked at young people who use cocaine and 80% of them, their first time using cocaine was when they were drunk. Um, you know, these yeah. young people aren't on some path of self-destruction. If they're sober, they're often sort of sensible and will say mm-hmm. no to things. But when they're a little bit drunk, the line of coke is there, they're much more likely to say yes to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I suppose the, the the kind of economic downturn and lack of opportunities for a lot of young people, I suppose, plays a factor, does it? Um, In terms of increasing the number of young people that kind of are a bit more pessimistic? Um, I don't know, I suppose. I mean, certainly um, it's not going to be helping the situation. That said, you know, young people actually have less, less money in their pocket now. Um, and... Um, you know, I, 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 there's actually good research with regard to, say, alcohol abuse. Um, that the more money young people have, the more likely they are to run into problems. Okay. Um, so um, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I do think one of the main reasons alcohol consumption has dropped in Ireland over the last six or seven years is because there's less money sloshing around the place. That's reduced parents' alcohol consumption um, and teenagers' alcohol consumption. And the other area at risk, of risk is just the whole suicide. That is, is there a strong link between alcohol, excessive alcohol use in people and risk yeah. to suicide? Yeah, um, certainly the post-mortem studies have been done of, of uh, particularly young men who commit suicide find that the majority of them are, are I suppose, legally drunk are, are, are at the time of their deaths, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, alcohol has a funny effect on our moods. Um, it makes us more impulsive. Um, I suppose suicide is the ultimate, it's the long-term solution to a temporary problem. Most of us, when we have our wits about us, wouldn't choose to make it. But when, when some of us are intoxicated, particularly from bad form already, it can suddenly become uh, an attractive option, tragically. Yeah, I suppose the schools obviously are trying to do a lot more in helping young people develop kind of personal social skills. But I suppose that's it's, a, it's the struggle of young people in society to trying to find their identity and... I suppose the whole thing around communication, maybe people yeah. being more isolated. But, you know, even things that we do as a society, this thing of drown your sorrows, if your girlfriend dumps you, you know, you may still say, OK, let's go out and, and, and get a bottle of vodka. And it's sort of seen as a legitimate coping strategy to tough times is to get intoxicated. Uh, and that's, I suppose, not a, from a psychological point of view, mm. that's not really the solution you should no. be turning to. I had a student last year on the course I teach in addiction in Donaghy's and uh, she just talked about the need to visit our neighbours more and how communities, you know, are, have been weakened and yeah. that that simple thing of overcoming isolation and just going to visit people. Yeah, uh, yeah, and being more connected to your community. And again, there's good research that sort of says that if young people feel part of a community, feel like they've got a role within their community, um, feel vo- like they're viewed positively by their community, they're much more likely to have better mental health and lower rates of risk behaviour. Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting website, um, or something worth Googling, I suppose, for mm-hmm. your listeners, um, called 40 Developmental Assets, um, mm-hmm. which just lists, I suppose, 40 characteristics that can be in a young person's life which seem to be associated with better mental health, lower rates of risk behaviour. 
uh, and there's a website linked to that called www.parentfurther.com. Yeah. It's American in its sort of orientation, but um, I, to me it makes an awful lot of sense. And it makes those points that you've just made about the importance of community and connection and mm-hmm. coping skills, the important role of family and parents, peers, school. Yeah. All these things interplay together to influence the choices young people make. I suppose there's a wider message there for the government in terms of, uh, you know, there's been a lot of cutbacks to services and community services and youth services maybe that, you know... Uh, Penny wise and a pound foolish, is that the phrase? Um, yeah, I would worry that we end up focusing just on the response, you know, become reactionary. What, what tends to get left, we have our intensive care units and our emergency departments and so on, I, I suppose, are left reasonably intact. But um, the services that maybe prevent people arriving in the emergency situation in the first place are maybe seeing their, their uh, services cut. And that's what's creating the cost. That's great, Bobby. Listen, been a pleasure to talk to you again today. Uh, thanks for coming in to, to talk to us. And that's been really interesting, a lot of really interesting uh, reflections there. So thank you, Bobby. Um, remember, you can email the show or your comments or questions to addicted at dublincfm.ie. If you do have a drug or alcohol problem, you can also call the helpline. Uh, it's a confidential support and information service on 1-800-459-459. That's it for this week. Tune in next week, uh, every Monday, half twelve. That's it. Take care. Bye.